And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hey, if you're, if you're a guest with us and we haven't met personally, my name's John. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're in the midst of an Advent series, uh, Advent, the four weeks kind of leading up to, to Easter. And our sermon series is this series called Do Not Be Afraid. And the, the uh, series title comes from the announcement the angels made to people in uh, the first couple chapters of Luke's gospel and, and really other places when Jesus appeared after he'd been raised from the dead. Often the first message either of the Lord himself when he appeared or angels when they're appearing on behalf of God to people is do not be afraid. And there's a very simple reason there, I think. This is just my thinking now. Uh, but I'm kind of thinking most of us live most of our lives as if God were a religious idea, uh, not as if God is a real person currently ruling the universe and our lives. And when we come into one of those moments where that assumption is completely gone and we are face to face with the reality that, that God is, we freak, really. And there's this, huh? But gladly the Lord is so gracious. And the message always leads with, do not be afraid. Let's talk about that first, your fear. Do not be afraid. Now listen up, right? So today we're thinking about, uh, do not be afraid to bring peace in the face of fear. And we heard the scripture today already. It's called the Magnificat. It's the song that Mary sang. She had been visited by an angel. She had gone to visit Elizabeth and Zechariah. Elizabeth, she had heard, was pregnant. And Elizabeth, in a moment where she was overcome by the Holy Spirit, uh, said some things that confirmed what the angel had said to Mary. And Mary's heart welled up in faith. Mary had moved through three stages of faith. I won't repeat this. This was the message from last week. But the three stages of faith, first was measured incredulity. That's the, this is crazy moment when we come face to face with the claims of the gospel. Then she moved on to simple acceptance. She didn't understand it all, but said, okay, I'm, I'm gonna take the next step, even though I don't fully understand. And then finally, the trusting reliance, where it's the giving of the whole self over to God, holding nothing back, just, I'm in, you got all of me. And when she did that, the first thing that came was this song. 
this beautiful, incredible song that she sang after Elizabeth's words, her, her outward expression of that last stage of faith. And one of the big things she realized was that there is a peace in Christ that is bigger than our biggest problem. It's available to everybody everywhere. And because there's a peace from God that's available, it's bigger than our biggest problem, we, we will not be afraid to bring peace in the face of fear. So check out this picture. Cute little kid, magnifying glass. Why do we use a magnifying glass? To make something bigger to see it, right? Obvious question, obvious answer. Now, when we use a magnifying glass and we're looking at something, does it make the actual thing bigger? Of course not. It becomes bigger in our eyes. It becomes bigger to us. This is the idea that Mary leads with. In, in her song. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That, that word uh, glorifies, other versions read, uh, you know, my soul magnifies the Lord. So whether it's glorifies or magnifies, the word means to enlarge or make great. It's this, it's this zooming in idea. It's this idea that uh, her soul is making God larger. Now, as one commentator noted, of course, God cannot be made any bigger, but he can be enlarged in one's life. It's the magnifying glass, right? Magnify. Yeah, it means to worship, make large, make great, but also as we do that, God gets bigger in our lives. And this is important. It drove Mary to worship and, and she experienced God getting really big in her life all of a sudden. And she heard Elizabeth's words. And her life was suddenly just everything the Lord had for her. God was the most important thing. Her life belonged to the Lord. And it, it begs us a question, doesn't it? When did God get big in your life? Like what, what occasion prompted that? Where are you on that journey? Um, are, are you, uh, really, are you a follower of Jesus now or not? If, if you are, are you seeking to make the Lord larger in your life on a daily basis? If so, what does that look like for you? This, this is important. You know, it drove Mary to worship with her, her soul and her spirit. This is just a verbal way of saying her whole being. She worshiped the Lord. And, and this is important because it's the kind of followers Jesus is looking for, the kind of worshipers God wants. Look, look at what Jesus said. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Spirit and truth, the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Do you know what that, that means? That means that the level of your engagement in worship 
matters to God. Have you ever thought about that? Now, worship is both personal and corporate, like what we're doing here, so it's not, it's not one-sided. Um, but, but the level of your engagement, the, the degree to which you're bringing your whole self to God when you're worshiping, matters to God. And, and God said very clearly, I want people who are all in, you know, spirit and truth, soul and spirit, magnifying, making God larger, rejoicing in, in who God is. On corporate worship, the gathered body, Martin Luther wrote this, at home in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me, but in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and breaks its way through. Amen? Um, So if you're worshiping online and you have to for some reason in your life right now, it's all good. And being together in person with the body of Christ matters. It matters a lot because God does stuff as the body of Christ is gathered together in corporate worship to him. Engage in worshiping God with everything you've got. Mary was doing that. And she explains the why. You know, the word for can also be because. So here's what she said next. For, because, he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. You know, yeah, Mary was a teenage girl in a patriarchal culture. Humble state. Yeah, she lived in Nazareth. You know, that town had a bad rep. Nathaniel would later say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was like the, the worst spot in the backwater area of Galilee, humble estate. One commentator really put an edge on it. Mary was, quote, a no one from nowhere. Culturally speaking now, not in God's eyes, of course, but culturally speaking. She also had been humbled by the pregnancy. We didn't really go into this. We haven't quite yet, but in an honor-shame culture, if... uh, Woman ended up pregnant before the wedding. That was a massive deal. Potentially life-threatening to Mary. Honor killings were not uncommon. We don't know for sure, but it might have been that she had to go to Elizabeth and Zechariah's to flee danger. Maybe. Don't know. Humble state. But more than anything, that, that phrase humble state referred, I think, to the fact that neither Mary nor her people could do anything to bring about their own deliverance. You know, personally, corporately, nationally, they were, they were helpless. Or in simple language, Mary was helpless to save herself. I saw this picture a long time ago, and I, this is my own little rendition of it. I think you'll agree it's quite a masterpiece. <laughs> but it's an image that, that stuck with me. Um, the little stick figure guy floating in the ocean because it, it just captures, doesn't it, the human condition. We're floating in an ocean, no land in sight. And we need help. And if we slow down for a moment and evaluate what's really going on in the world, 50% of it is, hey, there's really no problem. 
And the other 50% is, hey, do this, that, or that to lift yourself out of the water. And it all amounts to exactly nothing. None of it is helpful. We are helpless. I mean, the poor little guy is trying to grab himself by the hair to pull himself up out of the water. That's never going to work. Mary knew she was in that kind of situation. And she rejoiced in, quote, look back at verse 47, God, my Savior, the one who pulled me up out of that mess, God saw her in her low and helpless condition. In, in giving spiritual counsel to a man named Dioscorus, Augustine wrote this, to Christ, my Dioscorus, I desire you to submit yourself with unreserved piety. In that way, the way of submitting to Jesus, that is, in that way, the first part is humility, the second, humility, the third, humility. In the first line of Mary's song, we're brought straight to the most basic principle of Christian faith. Jesus comes only to those who recognize their desperate need and ask for help. That's the only prerequisite to coming to Christ is just to say, yeah, I need help. And for some, that is the hardest bridge to cross because it's a laying down of one's pride. It's a letting go of the I've got this mentality. And, and this really is repentance. The, the word repent in the Bible literally means to change your mind, to change your thinking. That's the thinking that needs to change first for us to come to Jesus. From I've got this, I'm, I'm good, to I'm, I'm, I'm now pointing that little stick figure guy right here. Uh, no, actually, this is me. I'm, I'm that person. Thank you. And... Everything I'm trying isn't working, and I need help, and I need it bad. It's the only prerequisite for coming to Christ. When we ask God for help, we realize that God is mighty to save. Mary recognized this as well. Look what she said. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And you got to put it in context, right? Remember, she's pregnant, honor, shame culture, uh, honor killings not uncommon, certainly social shame across the board. And she sings, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Not just, hey, future generations will call me blessed. But from now on. She's right in the heat of it all. And she can say, from now on, everyone will call me blessed. Why? Because the mighty one had done great things for her. Mighty one, it's an Old Testament reference. The mighty one of Jacob who acts powerfully on behalf of his people. You know, the greatest act of salvation in the Old Testament is the Exodus. Greatest act in the New Testament, the cross. Exodus and cross. Examples of how God acts on behalf of his people to set them free and welcome them home. And it all came together in Mary in this moment, and she's saying, right? God is powerful, God is holy, God is merciful. The mighty one has done great things for me. 
I mean, back to the predicament of not being able to pull ourselves out of the water, right? I've heard it said that justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting something much, much better than you deserve. And Mary came face to face with God's grace. The mighty one has done great things for me. Every follower of Jesus can say the same thing. If we're in Christ, we have been blessed by God and will be called blessed for all generations to come. Look at what Jesus said in describing the fulfillment of God's kingdom. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. The mighty God who is mighty to save wants everyone everywhere to come home to him. The door's open, everybody's welcome. All right, Mary, Mary's song now takes a turn from the personal reasons to magnify the Lord to kind of more, more prophetic reasons, to, to reasons seeing what, what God is, is doing in the world, what God has done and what God is doing in Jesus. And, and look at her song. It switches into the past tense. Check this out. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. It's, it's historical and prophetic all at once. Mary is simultaneously looking back to what God has already done and announcing what God will do in Christ. Simultaneously looking back to what God has already done and announcing what God will do in Christ. And, it, and it's all about the way God is turning the world on its head. Right? It's the upside down, backwards way of Jesus. And way back in Isaiah, the Lord said this through the prophet, for my thoughts are, are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. In his wonderful commentary on Luke, Kent Hughes points out the great reversals Jesus brings. Morally, he scatters the proud. Socially, he lifts the humble. Spiritually, he fills the hungry with good things. I, I love that, that last one. You know, fills the hungry with good things spiritually. It's just the upside down world of Jesus. You know, if you're poor, you're rich, he says. If you want to find your life, you lay it down. If you're weak, you're strong. If you're simple, you're wise. And here's how the apostle Paul put it. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. Our best stuff is ridiculous in the economy of God, the way the Lord works. The gospel turns human thinking and systems and, and values upside down. You know, pride isn't the thing humility is. Status isn't the thing humility is. Self-sufficiency isn't the thing. It's a humble seeking of the Lord that is the thing. A laying down of self-sufficiency. Humility again. That's why Augustine said what he did. Have you ever recognized that biblically the prescription for spiritual health is spiritual hunger. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, so many, so many verses. Blessed are those 
who seek him with their whole heart. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it, says the Lord. Prescription for spiritual health is spiritual hunger. I remember way back, I've I've shared this in the past, but a, a pastor friend of mine challenged me to read the Bible in 90 days. It sounded ridiculous to me. I was like, I like to linger and just, you know, just, but I did it. And it was a great experience. Because when you're rifling through that much scripture a day, it's like 10 chapters a day. I mean, you're like plowing through scripture. You, you just, all you have time to catch are the big themes. And the big themes I walked away were these, seek the Lord and bless the world. It's all over the place in scripture. Seek the Lord. The prescription for spiritual health is spiritual hunger. Are you hungry? Are you seeking? The mighty reversals. Jesus turns everything upside down. Therefore, in light of those mighty reversals, we bring our fear to the Lord. Is there anything causing fear in you right now? What are you anxious about? What's kind of just under the surface? You're just kind of able to keep it under, but it's like right there. Life is hard, right? Um, There's all sorts of stuff going on. Stuff that challenges us sometimes to almost what feels like a breaking point. And Jesus has turned the whole world and its system upside down. According to the Bible, uh, do you know what the antidote for fear is? You might say, like, maybe courage. No, some of you whispered it, I heard it. Love. Right, First John. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. The perfect love of God is the antidote for fear. Everything is pressing us to our breaking point. The antidote for those things, the the help from the Lord is his long-suffering, faithful love for us. You know, spiritually, we're not called, called to rally courage to face our fears as if it's our job to do. To face our fears we're called to rest in the perfect love of God for us. I get that's a challenge. But that's what Jesus invites us to, I think. And do not be afraid to bring peace in the face of fear. And this was Mary's realization. She moved through the stages of faith. She came to this place where she said, man, I can, I can trust God with everything. Everything. Not just the Sunday piece of me, not just half my life, not just most of my life, not just 99.5%, but this last, this last little piece I just got to hang on to. Just. We are all dying. I'm just saying. God is real, 
God is pouring out life into you and me this very instant. Jesus is alive. The Lord is good. The mighty one has done great things for us and he may be trusted. Do not be afraid to bring peace in the face of fear. Not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is and because of what he has done that no one ever can undo. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Lord, with Mary, we stand united today and proclaim your goodness. You are so very good, O Lord. There's so much in life that might try to call your goodness, your character into question. There's a lot that we don't understand. We get that. There's a lot that's not the way it's supposed to be. We, we get that too. But God, turn our hearts to you, please. Pour out your spirit on us and enable us to see the great things that you have done for us in and through Jesus. Help us, equip us, empower us to live in this world where a resurrection has happened. Help us to live with that level of hope resting in your love for us. For those in need of healing today, God, I pray that you would pour it out by your spirit in every way. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.